0: Good morning, everybody. Come on, Haiti trip team. Come on up here if you would, please. I apologize for my uh, voice. No, I wasn't at the basketball game yesterday. I just got this bad cold and um, that's just the way it is. We've got a lot of stuff going on this morning, but we're starting off with a really cool thing. We were gonna hear a little report from the folks that went to uh, Haiti this past fall. Um, as most of you know, um, all of that Church had been involved in Haiti uh, for several years and four or five, no, maybe six or seven, five or six years ago, they built a, helped to build a library for these folks down there and so every year they've been going back sometimes more than once a year to uh, do some you know, work projects and things like that so um, we, that's what we're going to hear about. Bob's going to talk a little bit about some of the Bible studies and, and the things they were doing at the library. Ann, who is a special guest, was, um, this is kind of a neat thing, she, she is, she lives in western Iowa, so she was one of the, you know, there were several folks from other churches that went along with these, these guys, so I think we might hear a little report from you, maybe, okay. <laughs> try A little, I said. And then, then Tom and Tom are also going to give a little, a little report. Uh, I don't know, any endeavor, you need to have an attorney, so I think that's why Tom is, is, is on here, you know. He says he's got people skills, so we're, we'll find out. But anyhow, I'm gonna turn it over to them and let them uh, give us a little bit of a report on the things that they were doing.
1: It is our goal to have everything we say and do in Haiti to reflect our love for Jesus. But I specifically would like to talk about the Bible sessions at the library. Uh, The last uh, few years, we've had an afternoon Bible session at the library uh, it's a teachy. It's a Bible study cr- slash crafts combination. Lasts about an hour and a half. But this past year, we had the unique opportunity to incorporate another one of my passions, and that's feeding the hungry. Uh, the children that go to the, the that go to the class in the afternoon are uh, the. Well, I better back up. The sponsored children that go to the church schools, which there are many and many and several of you sponsored children over there, they, have, they are provided a nutritious meal every noon as part of their tuition. But the national schools and the unschooled are not uh, are not provided meals, and so we've, we fed them a meal every afternoon just before they went home. And you know something, folks, that could very well be the only food they had all day.
2: I'd like to talk about some of the projects that we get involved with when we're down in Haiti. Um, We work through the hospital. Um, It's really the mover and shaker in the community. Um, It runs school programs, it runs feeding programs, it runs a farm program. Um, Of course the hospital um, has many clinics, uh, dental clinic, eye clinic, um, as as well as uh, just a regular hospital with operating rooms and such. Um, So we work through them, we work through a, uh, an organization um, in the states called Promise for Haiti, and they kind of organize the the work projects. So, you know, we're not the only team going down; um, lots of teams go down. So it's it's an organized and coordinated effort to get projects done that needed to be done. Um, and so we do things like painting and and carpentry and uh, tile work and. Austin told us yesterday, he's an expert tile leader, so. <laughs> but if you can, if you can swing a paintbrush, you're, you're qualified uh, for, for the work that we do. Um, when we built the library, um, I came up with a design for desks. And, and so uh, they want those desks in schools. And so we've been building hundreds of desks throughout the years. Um, so that's, that's a real ministry. And I, I think one of the biggest uh, um, Witnesses and, and um, testimonies that we have when we're down there is, is the work that we do. Um, we uh, we try to meet the needs of, of the, the community. Um, we also hire uh, local workers uh, to work alongside us. Um, so we're putting some back in some uh, back into the economy. Some uh, putting some people to work, which is important. So. Um, and and really I got involved with going down to Haiti because um you know I'm not so much of a people person but I'm um you know I I, I can swing a hammer and and uh, do some some construction kind of things
3: uh, First of all thanks to the crypt keeper for the introduction there uh, uh we're going to talk about getting there, what it's like there, the social aspects of housing, the food a little bit. Um, first of all, Haiti is think east of Cuba, southeast of Florida. It is in the Caribbean. The weather is wonderful. It's an all-inclusive resort we stay at, but temper that a little bit with Haiti standards. It's all the water you could bottled water you can drink, uh, local food, wonderful local food. Uh, think plantains, chicken vegetables. And for the big treat, we get goat. While we're there, uh, we'll stay at one of two places. It's going to be behind walls. You feel safe. Uh, there is no air conditioning, but there is showers most of the time. There uh, are windows with no glass on them. Uh, thank Dormitory-style living. Um, During the day, we do the work projects. On Sunday, we go on worship with, uh, at a local Haitian church. And not to be culturally disrespectful, but wonderful music. Very engaging service done both in English and Creole. Uh, There's always side trips. You saw a picture of some people unloading boxes here. We had a woman on the last trip who has a deaf child, and it was her passion to go and visit a deaf school. And now, to give you just a tiny bit of background on deaf children, in Haiti, um, they're they're given up by their family and put into slavery uh, because they're not productive. Uh, They're they're thought as idiots because the parents do not know how to communicate with them. And it was so cool on that Sunday afternoon when we were on the back of a flatbed truck and found the deaf school and stopped and to see the member of our group engaging with the teacher that was there, meeting the children, and the boxes were meals from the Heartland that were being delivered, and we got to help unload those, and we don't know if we were involved or knew people that were involved in this end, and that was so cool. We also went and visited a school where Tom's desks were located, and the schools there are named after the people or the entity that built the school so we went to Pella christian school that day and and it's just so neat to see the children how disciplined they are how they're all dressed alike they're clean they smell good they sing great they're 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 they're, they're, they're thrilled to see us they call us blancs which is white french for white uh, and um, it, it's just there's a lot of aspects, but I'm going to pass on to Ann here soon <laughs> to, to talk about the social aspects. If you would just talk a little bit about what it's like among the people that are in the group, the mission group, and the interacting with the community and the friendships you develop. And one short story before you get the mic uh, was we have, we have a relationship with a young man named Jakey. Jakey is 16 years old. Uh, he lives with his grandmother. And he had moved out into the country last time we were down there, from the city. So, Jakey and I found a motorcycle to take us out to his home so I could meet his family. And it was about 12 miles of bad road, going through the rivers, but you got to picture a small motorcycle with me in the middle, and Jakey sitting on a 60-pound bag of rice on the back, and our driver, And he decides to race people he sees on other motorcycles. And it was just truly an adventure. But to be welcomed into their home, and they were so proud of it, but it was a home with concrete walls, no door, um, a dirt floor, one cot, which his grandmother had, and then they had put a piece of rusty tin on the side and underneath that was the cot where Jakey slept. And he's a remarkable young man. He speaks three languages. And thanks to Anne, he's going to school. And he has a future. Um, The year before, we had met his cousin, whose entire family had been killed in the earthquake in Port-au-Prince. His name was Benson. This year, I was looking forward to reengaging with Benson, who is 20 years old, uh, but he had made it across the border into the Dominican Republic. He works at a cabana boy and just thinks he's on top of the world. He works at a resort. He has three squares a day, a place to sleep, and uh, I, I maintain a, a friendship with him through Facebook. So Anne, you want to talk about the social aspects a little bit?
4: <laughs> if you have no skills, I'm living proof that you can still go and have fun. You can be on my team because <laughs> unless Tom does this, That means, what are you all doing? Is someone going to help me? Then we just get to play with all the kids there. My daughter, who is in her early 20s, has gone with us the last three years, and really she has done nothing other than play with the kids too. So it's not all work, although they do like to get some work out of us, but it is just so much fun engaging with the kids, singing and dancing with them in the street. You turn on your iPad or your iPod, and they are surrounding you just having so much fun. You just get to love on them and show them that people outside of their little world care about them. And from year to year when you come back, they're searching you out and they remember you. It's something like you just can't imagine unless you've gone. And another thing is kind of like a living back in your grandparents' time or maybe great-grandparents' time where there's no running water, no electricity in their homes. They go to the river to wash their clothes. Um, animals wander around as they please through the streets. It's something that you cannot imagine unless you experience it. It's worth it just for that alone to go and see how other people live and you will come back changed and appreciate your life so much more and just open up your eyes a little bit to how the rest of the world is, or some people in the rest of the world are living. And we can sit here all day long and tell you stories about it, but until you experience it yourself, You just can't imagine what goes on over there, and you'll come back a better person, right? Did I come back a better person? I didn't know you before. Oh, that's another thing. I never knew any of these guys before my first trip three years ago. I just knew somebody that knew somebody that was going, and I saw them one day, and they said, hey, do you want to go to Haiti? And I said, yeah, what's going on there? they said, there's a mission trip, and then I came here and met all these yahoos at a meeting one day, and I've been hooked ever since, so I'm a lifer. Come
1: on and join us. Thank you. Um, we'll close by uh, now uh, telling everyone where you fit in. Uh, it is our request that you go home and pray about this. And if you feel that God may be leading you to Haiti, we would love to have you join us. We just found out the dates. Just this week, the dates will be October 16th through the 23rd, and uh, we'll we'll follow up later. Uh, but uh, for this week, we just want you to pray about it and think about it, and we'll send a sign-up sheet along around next week. And anyone that's even even remotely interested, uh, we would like to have you sign the sheet. And uh, and just like Ann said, it re- I know that's an old cliche that. Uh, It's a life-changing experience, but I promise you, if, if the Lord leads you to Haiti, you'll come back changed in some area of your life forever and in a very positive way. And I'll look
5: at the cross, and my failure is lost. Holy cow! That is awesome! I mean, when, I'm sorry. <laughs> when when uh, we were talking last week, we were talking about what we we're gonna do with this morning, and Megan says, <clears throat> Hi, "I I was thinking about this message, and I thought of a title for it." And she said, and she was kind of talking to Tyler, her husband. She said, "Beautifully wrecked." I felt like, what? Did you say my name? Because if if we were named by um, characteristics, man, that's my name. Does that ring with anybody else? Beautifully wrecked. Because in order for me to be secure and bought with a price and know my identity in Christ, what God reminds me of is that when I look at the cross, all of my failures are lost. They're gone. God forgets about them. And I struggle to forget when my kid does something wrong. I struggle to forget when my wife does something wrong. I struggle to forget when you guys do something wrong. I struggle to forget when anybody in my life does something wrong. And yet God... (laughs) at the cross, does away with every failure of mine. That should rock our world. I mean, that should change the way we live. That should change the way we act toward everyone around us. It should change the way we look at ourselves. It should change the way we look at people who are far from God, at people who are close to God, at people who tick us off. It should change everything. And it does change everything. Martin Lloyd-Jones says it like this, he, uh, I have a daughter, so I'm going to use this as an example, but I, I mean, I love my boys, I love my sons, but I like to beat them up, they like to beat me up, and there is no one besides my wife that I like holding their hand more than my daughter, Margot. I mean, I'm sure I'll love that about Ivy too, but she can't walk with me right now, so. When I hold Margo's hand, there's nothing more that I like just walking down the road with her and swinging her arms back and forth. Because I have this immense amount of love for her and I also see myself, she says, I say, Margo, who am I? And she says, you're my hero. Or she'll say, you're my rescuer. Of course, I helped implant that into her mind a little bit. Um, because I like it, it impresses other people and I just like hearing it. But But to hear that from her is totally like when you come to Christ for salvation the first time, at that moment He gives you His Holy Spirit to live inside of you, to seal you for the day of redemption. You cannot lose your salvation. And from that moment on, day in and day out, He holds your hand and He walks along and He says, Who am I? And we can say to Him, You're my hero. You're my rescuer. And as we walk along and we hold His hand, sometimes we feel like going doing other things. Sometimes we feel like running away. Sometimes we feel like letting go. But he's strong, and he holds on, and he will never, ever, ever let go. And occasionally, he will pour out his spirit on you in such a way that it's like this. You're walking along, he's holding your hand, or I'm holding Margot's hand, and I just want to show her how much I love her and that I'm never going to let go. And so God does that with us. He pulls us in, He picks us up, and He wraps His arms around us. And in those moments that He pours out His Spirit on you in a special way, you are reminded and inspired, my God's never going to leave me. My God's never going to forsake me. He's my hero. He loves me no matter what I do. And it's in those moments. Maybe it'll come across to you like a a moment when He just gives you peace in a situation. Maybe He's going to use someone else to pour truth into your life that just overflows. Maybe it comes in the form of a miracle. It could come in a lot of different ways where God just picks you up and He embraces you. And He says, you're my child. I'm your hero. I love you. I will never, ever let you go. And it's in those moments when you are so full of Him and His grace that you just want to shout out. You cannot contain what is going on inside because in the midst of your failure, day by day we hold His hands and we look at the cross and my failure is gone. Amen? I mean, that is incredible and it should have gotten a little bit more of a response than that. <laughs> amen? amen? Amen. The reason that we, we say amen up here The reason that Andrew said it about 50 times last week, I was like, dude, you said amen like 50 times, bro. But the reason he did that, the reason that I do it, the reason that any of us do it is because what we just said has impacted us so much, the truth of it, the truth of the active living word of God should impact us so much that everybody in the room should be saying amen because God's word is living and active and it will meet every single one of you where you are this morning and that has been our prayer that this morning will be a big giant embrace from our father to say to you i'm your hero and look at the cross because your failure is lost love that i want to share a little story with you before megan uh, gets going here but i love it and it has to do with our ephesians chapter two passage for the morning but, so you can turn to Ephesians chapter 2, but I'm going to tell you a little story from Acts 10 real quick. So, there's this centurion from the Italian regiment who is a God-fearing man, okay? But he's not a Jew. If you're not a Jew in this room, you're a Gentile, okay? Just know that. If you're not a Jew in the room, you're a Gentile. So when I talk about Gentiles, you know that that is you if you're not a Jew, okay? He's not a Jew. He's a God-fearing man, uh, but he doesn't know about Jesus yet for salvation as the Messiah. He doesn't know about this yet. So, an angel, God reaches down into that moment to carry out his plan to, of salvation to the Gentiles. And he says, Hey, I want you to go and find a man named Peter. He's staying at Simon Tanner's house. I want you to find him and I, I want you to talk to him. In the meantime, as he says, Okay, I'm going to go find this man. In the meantime, uh, Peter, sitting up on the roof, they had these flat roofs just lounging out, sitting up on a roof, and God shows him a vision. And he's sitting there, he's hungry. God lowers down a blanket upon him in this vision, and there's all sorts of animals around, and, uh, and, he's, and God says to him, kill and eat. What? Peter says? And he just automatically, immediately, questions God because he says, God, I have never, I will never put anything unclean in my mouth. I will, oh my goodness, that sounds a lot like me. I would never let that kind of person in my house. I will never, I don't want our church to be full of those kinds of people. And I'm not going to associate with those kinds of people because it's not good for me. God, I have never put anything unclean in my mouth. And what does God say? He says, listen here, I will be the judge of what is clean and unclean. He says, don't call anything unclean that I have made clean. Boom. That was an amazing thing for Peter. As a Jew, up to that point, salvation was only for the Jews. Uh Uh-uh. Everyone else is outside the family of God, and everything else is unclean. God says, don't call unclean what I have made clean. Turn to Ephesians. I hope you're already there. Chapter 2. Verse 11. Let me read this. And you can just look at her because she's a lot better looking than me. You don't have to look at me this whole time. I know you're sitting up there. We're getting Awkwardly to it. All right? Awkwardly <laughs> sitting up there. I know. I forced her to. All right. Here we go. Therefore, remember that you who were... This is to the Gentiles now in Ephesians. Therefore, remember that, you, that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who are called themselves the circumcision that done in the body by the hands of men. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace, and in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. In the book of Acts, God was saying to the Jews, don't call what I have made clean unclean. And here He's saying to the Gentiles, remember that one time you were far from God and through the blood of Christ I have made you new. I have brought you near. But now, but now, but now, what are we? We are once worse. But now, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. Listen here. There's no no more denominational differences that are going to break us down. I mean, our two churches, Olivet Baptist Church and Cornerstone Community Church, came together as one. That is insane. Okay, in the church world, every time I tell that story to people. They're like, what? That, wouldn't, that doesn't happen. Y'all are getting along? Like, yes, we're getting along. Why? Jesus is why we're getting along. Alright? I seriously came into this whole thing expecting that we were going to have a lot more issues than we have. This is rockin' awesome. Because God did it. Right? God did it. That, that was cool, but of all the things you should clap for, you should clap for, like, this, these next things. No more, all right, no more racial issues, no more skin color issues, no more lifestyle choice issues. Hear me when I say that. We will not be an us and them church. We are the once-wers, so we will not put up walls that in Christ have been torn down, okay? So no more lifestyle choice issues. Here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that we will be a church that will will affirm bad choices in people's lives. That is not what I'm saying. Our goal in our mission statement is leading people everywhere to a devoted relationship with Christ. That means if you've been saved for 30 years, if you've been saved for 50 years, if you've been saved for two years, if you've been saved for three months, we want to lead you towards Christ. But in the way that you act, we will all understand that we were once worse, and we're going to love everyone, no matter what. If you agree with that, shake your head. All right. Because that is what this church will be. That's how God wants to grow the kingdom through this church. Hard Rock Cafe has their, their, their uh, motto is love everyone, serve everyone, or it's love all, serve all. And a friend of mine said to me one time, said to Heather and I, it's, uh, it's a shame the world got it before the church did. And I was, at, at the beginning, I was like, dude, my church rocks, don't make, but he is so right in so many ways. Why? Because in America and everywhere, that dividing wall of hostility is still up. But why did Jesus come? He came to tear it down. And the only difference between Hard Rock Cafe and the church, it's a huge difference, but it's the only difference, is that their motto will only be, love all, serve all, forever, that's it. And why do they do it? Because they want to love everyone and serve everyone. Why do we do it? One word, what's his name? Jesus, say it louder. Jesus, because he will forever rock your world and change your life, and he should be using you to change the lives around you. Why? Because he broke down the walls of hostility between people who love God and everyone else, and so in him, for all people, can be created one new man, the church. And get this, okay? So many people in this room right now are afraid of having a growing church because you love your relationships because you love the smallness of this. But get this. The church itself is full of redeemed believers. This building should be full of both. Did you hear me? The church is full of redeemed believers. This building, your homes, your cars, everywhere that you are, should be filled with both because that is the mission that God left us with. So, I want you to hear Megan's story, and as you hear this, it is seriously a beautiful, wrecked story. (laughs) She's messed up. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Oh my goodness. I'm going to get in trouble for that. My wife is thinking, oh, you better look in the mirror. Anyway, I want you to hear this story, and as you hear it, after we're done hearing this story, we're going to have a time to reflect and just be with God. I'm going to say it now. I'm going to say it later. But those moments, that moment, again, I pray that it's a moment where God just picks you up, wraps you up, and holds you tight and reminds you that He's never going to leave you, that He's your hero. But in those moments, in the songs that we sing after you hear this, it's a time for you to be unashamed. First of all, unashamed of who God has made you and unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. How? Go pray with someone that you need to pray with. Get on your knees if you need to get on your knees. Don't worry about the person next to you, but do what you have to do. Why? Because this should be a safe place. Not this building, but the church should be a safe place to be who God has made you to be. And we all struggle. We all stink at life, but God has made us to look at the cross and our failures lost I love that line. So true. So I'm going to pray for Megan and then she's going to tell us her story. God, um, embrace us in these moments. You're holding our hands. Pick us up and embrace us, God. Embrace us, embrace us. May people in this room confront some things in their life and understand that no matter how, how Megan's story compares to theirs, that you have reached down into everyone's life and given them a story of grace, of redemption, of new identity because we are beautiful our lives are wrecked, and you have come down, reached into that, and held tightly. And you've given us a new man, a new identity. So God, just in this moment, fill this room and hold us tight. Amen. Megan.
4: My
6: turn. <clears throat> okay, I'm biting a sinus infection, so I apologize. So let me start by saying why I picked Beautifully Wrecked. Um, if you have ever been saved, you know... Well, what beautifully wrecked means so there have been a group of us for two or three weeks now who have been praying And so if you have felt your heart stirring this week, it's because we've been praying for you So I pray that everyone in whatever way feels completely beautifully wrecked this morning I believe that's why the Lord gave me my story So, um, I grew up Southern Baptist. I grew up in Texas. My mom was Southern Baptist. My dad was Catholic I grew up in a home where we had problems but we didn't talk about them. You kind of suppressed them and um, just put on your front. So I learned at an early age to play perfection, to always play that role. I was the oldest child being Southern Baptist. I always strived for perfection. I always had that face on. I struggled at an early age also with low self-esteem and kind of battled that till this day. Um, so that all plays a part into my story as well so i was a youth group kid see so you at the pole true love waits always wore the shirts with pride all through high school everybody used to joke that they could see my halo glowing because i was the cool kid that loved jesus um so i i had that facade all through high school and i truly believed everything that i stood for my dad was a cop and was stationed on campus for a couple of years so my dating relationships were none um, until I was 17. <laughs> I got set up on a blind date for my prom date um, my junior year of high school, and I very quickly started dating that guy afterwards. That relationship, I didn't know what a relationship should look like at that time. That that was a destructive relationship. Um, that man was my first for everything. Um, and I was with him for just over a year, and right after high school, about two weeks after high school graduation, um, I found out I was pregnant. Um, I had signed a um, a scholarship to go um, run track and cross-country for a Division I school. Um, My future was laid out, and so it wasn't an option, and I had an abortion that summer. Being the family that I came from and just my lifestyle, I didn't talk to anybody about it. I suppressed it, and I acted like it never happened. I acted like that didn't scar me, that didn't affect me, that did not title me. Um, And I went into college, and my freshman year um, really focused on running and and school and made the dean's list for the first time ever and the last time ever. And (laughs) freshman year was great. Um, Went home after that summer um, and dabbled a little bit into kind of going out and the whole going out scene, but didn't really um, allow myself to go too far in it. And then came back sophomore year, and I, I don't know what stirred it, but All of a sudden I was ready to party. I was ready to drink, I was ready to party, I was ready to be in that scene. I think I was just, that was my coping mechanism for suppressing stuff. So the next three years were a blur. I continued to run. I did finish my running career um, and graduated, but the partying and the drinking just continued to get worse. I had fallen into um, sleeping with every guy I was dating because I felt like that's what would keep them around. Um, I thought that I needed to use my body, that I wasn't good enough in any other way. But I kept that whole facade, that everything was perfect, that I had it all together. My senior year was probably the one of, is where the darkest years of my life started. Um, I was dating a musician at the time. Well, he's, he was a band, like lead singer of a band that played in bars every night. So the partying and the drinking got worse. It was every single night. And so for three or four months, that's all that I did, and I was consumed by it. Um, I came home for four days for spring break my senior year and was <laughs> burning, burning CDs for those of you who remember those days. Um, I was burning CDs on my computer and I ran out of room with my songs, but still had space left on the second CD. And my youngest brother, who is one of the most amazing men I've ever met, has been walking with the Lord since he was 15. He had all these songs. I was like, sure, whatever. They can't be that bad. So I just start throwing some of his music on there. And the night before I left to drive back to school, I'm laying in bed, and for whatever reason, I'm praying for the first time in four years. And I prayed, Lord, I pray that you say, and that was all that I said. The completion of that sentence would have been, Lord, I pray that you save me, that you wreck my heart. And I did not finish it. Well, that was enough, because the next day I was driving back to school, um, and I'm on 45 North, just, just north of Dallas. And all of a sudden, Who Am I? by Casting Crowns comes on. Um, and there's a part in it that says, who am I that the Lord of all the earth would look on me with love and watch me rise again? And I was wrecked. I had to pull over in a sonic parking lot. I'm bawling so hard that I can't see. I call my mom. My mom has no idea what's going on because Baptists don't know what that means. So I'm like like just hysterical. And she's trying to hear what, understand what I'm saying. I'm not making any sense. I'm like ugly crying at this point. But in that moment when I heard that, I was so convicted. All that I could think was there was this image of God looking down on me. All that's going on in my brain is the skies, the Lord's face, and me just having all this sinful nature and doing it and knowing what I was doing and continuing to do it, and (laughs) <laughs> afterwards I was driving and I thought he had saved me because I was about to die so I started having these like terrible images of like driving off the road because I was like I'm going to die and God wants me to be in heaven and so this is why I'm feeling like this but that that was the moment that my heart was changed that was the moment that the Lord truly just grabbed my heart said you were with me and I was changed forever what didn't change was that I did not have anyone at home to talk to and I use that as an excuse because I, my fear of man was so strong at that point that I still couldn't tell my story and I still couldn't get out of the party scene because that's where my friends were. So I continued to, not as heavily, but I continued to go out. I continued to keep those people close to me. Over the next three years, my fear of man and my, my fear of not being loved and my fear of not being able to keep the men around that were in my life, I continued to use my body and I continued to sleep with them even though it broke my heart and every time I did it I knew what I was doing and over those next three years I found myself walking through two more abortions and I can't explain the darkness that those three years held my old church back home our pastor explained it like you're in a water well and you're at the bottom of it, and you know that there's light up there, but you can no longer see it because you're so dark, and you're so deep, and you're so tw- like twisted in your own sin and in everything you've done to yourself that you don't even know that there's hope anymore. And so for three years, I walked in depression. Um, I walked in my own sin. I, I felt every bit of it. I was lying to everyone because I didn't know What I couldn't remember what part of my story I had told people. I couldn't, I wasn't really involved with the church. I didn't even know that it was possible to stand up in front of somebody and tell them my story. And so those were very, very dark years where I was just consumed by my sin. And Satan was winning, and I was letting him. So about that time, towards the end of those three years, um, I was 24-ish, I know i look young i'm actually almost 30 but i was about 24 and my i have a lifelong friend i've been friends with her since eighth grade and the lord brought her back into my life she was leading a small group through our church back home and for the first time in my life i was invested and involved with women Um, i'd always been a tomboy i'd always been that cruel girl that loved football and baseball and um, i lived that that was my identity Um, i'd never had good girlfriends and I'd been going to this small group for about three weeks and she asked me to share my story. So I showed up to the point where I was 18 and then I kind of just let the rest pass and didn't didn't fully share. But over over the next two years, the Lord really used those women in my life to start molding my heart in a way that I didn't know that he was doing. And I got really, really involved with them. I saw grace. I heard stories of grace and redemption, never dreaming that I would be one of those or that that's actually what was happening in my life. And around, I guess, like I was 25, 26 at the time, my brother was getting married, and it was really setting heavily on my heart. And I just had a breakdown. And my best friend looked at me, And she looked me dead in the eye and she said, something is killing you and you need to figure out what it is because it's starting to kill the people that love you. Um, And that was it. Um, Two days later, I went to dinner with her and after two margaritas for some some liquid courage, I looked at her and I was like, so you know what happened when I was 18, that's not it. Then I told her about what I had put myself through and that just the fear that I had because of judgment. The fear that I had because I was so scared of man. I was so scared of the judgmentalness that I had always felt in my life that I thought that's what I was going to get from my closest friend. And she looked at me and she said, okay, let's fix it. Like this isn't you. This isn't your identity. This isn't how you're supposed to be living. Like the Lord loves you so much more than this. You need to like figure yourself out. And so I started sharing my story a little bit at a time. I had an amazing roommate at that time, and I shared everything with her. And and it's almost as if the Lord just like put this path of women in my life and knew which one I needed to talk to next and just kind of gave me the strength to do it every time they were there. And the more I shared my story, the more I realized how amazing it was because of what the Lord had done to me. And because it is only because of the Lord that I'm not standing here labeled as the girl who had abortions that's not who I am and it's because of the Lord that I'm redeemed and we look for miracles every day now and people ask God well if you're real then where are the miracles I'm one of them (laughs) you guys are one of them everybody has their story with the Lord everyone has their miracle and I can only share my story with you guys because the Lord gives me so much joy in sharing it. Because you guys see that that's not who I am. And you see the Lord in me. And you see the joy I have in sharing that I'm not there anymore. So, um, a couple weeks ago, when Nick was talking, the Lord had kind of been stirring my soul over a couple of weekends. I just want to see recovery in this church. I want people to know the souls that are in this church. I want people to know people's stories in this congregation. And he ended his sermon with, who are we as a church? If a homosexual walked up to the door, if a prostitute walked up to the door, if an alcoholic walked up to the door, would we embrace them or would we turn them away? And before you guys knew me, a lot of you do, and before any of you knew my story today, if I had an A on my chest, would you have just turned me away? Or would you have taken me and wanted to hear why I was at this door, why I was standing here? And my prayer is that this church would embrace those people, because the darkness that you feel in those days, being so fearful of judgment, and that people don't see you for anything but your sin, is a horrible fear. And we're the only people that can walk alongside them and let them know that that's not who they are. I always finish my story with saying, it's not, I mean, no one's ever perfect after, after they're free from their sin. Tyler and I struggled with premarital sex. We weren't beautiful, but being in this church and Tyler really found a mentor Nick and the last four months of our engagement were beautiful. We, we did not have any sin, and we were able to focus on ourselves, and the way that I remember feeling and using my body all those years has given me a completely shattered, broken heart for women who go through sex trafficking, and I know that the Lord's going to use that for amazing things one day, so I'm continuing to learn that sex is a gift, and that it's not a sinful thing, and that I can give that gift to my husband, and then it's not that I'm using myself, like, that's been a learning process. So it's all these things, and you'll never hear me stand up here and make excuses for what I did. It was a sin, and it was a horrible thing, but if I allow myself to sit in that, I don't feel joy. So, beautifully wrecked. I pray, I have been praying this week and the last two weeks that everyone who immediately went to judgment when they started hearing my story that your soul is just wrecked Um, that those walls are taken down and that the Lord just truly works in your heart and that you your heart breaks for what breaks his because until we feel like that and until our hearts break for others we're never going to be able to take someone in our arms and let them know that it's the Lord and that it's not them and it's not their sin and i have really prayed that for people who are walking through darkness in this room and who have truly felt the weight of sin in any capacity, I always challenge you, okay, so you think that you're unforgivable, let's go toe-to-toe with stories because I'm pretty sure mine will beat yours. But I just, I pray that the Lord just gets in there and changes you and that a strength that you don't even know comes about and that all of a sudden your your legs are walking towards the front to be prayed over. Or your the words are coming from somewhere and you don't even know where they're coming from. Because that's the Lord working in you. And I pray that for anybody in here that's feeling that. So I know my story is weighty and it's heavy. But thank you. I don't know if I took my 20 minutes. I'm sorry. I talk really fast. Good. <laughs> but I will be up here afterwards. I'll be in the front. So if anybody does want to pray, I would love to pray with you, or if you have questions, or you want to hear more, um, I'm clearly an open book, so please come talk to me, but my, um, Heather really encouraged me to say this, but my prayer for this church is that we bring a ministry like Celebrate Recovery. It is my hopes and dreams that people, even if you don't think you need it, you need it more than anybody, so that's my prayer is that we can bring a ministry like that here and that you can walk through it and that the walls you don't even know exist are just gone because of the Lord. So, thank you for listening.
5: The band, the band is going to come on back up. And uh, I want to read this to you. Thank you for that, Megan. That was... Uh, Consequently... Here's the deal. Um, I used to think that, you know, I used to sit at camp and and hear a story like Megan's and be like, "Eh, I'm not sharing my testimony because it's not that cool. Um, Because you automatically think that to have a testimony that God worked a miracle in, you have to have done drugs or had abortions or done something with your life that labeled you as far from God. And uh, that's just not true. Because every single person in this room this morning, your issue is your issue. What is the thorn in your flesh, in your side, that's yours. And don't compare it. Don't compare it to what you heard. What we heard this morning was a story that says, hey, every single person that comes to Jesus is a miracle. Every single person. It does not matter. And I know that it's a weird thing to get up and walk around and pray with somebody or get on your knees and pray with somebody, but there is no shame here. You think right now that if you get up and do that, people are going to be like, they got an issue. Well, here's the deal. All right? That's not your shame, it's theirs. Because we hate in other people what we hate in ourselves. All right? No fear in Christ to do that. And these guys are going to play. just do that. Do it. If this cannot be a safe place for you, then I'll, I'll hang up the hat, you know? I don't know. But this has got to be a safe place for that to happen, and I am just praising God. And here's, when Tyler, I did not know that my being out to lunch with Tyler that day had the effect on him that it did in their engagement. But Holy cow. All I did was take him to lunch, and let him pay.
6: I think I, was, I think I paid too. <laughs> yeah.
5: All right. Be with someone in this moment. All right, and we're gonna be up front. You can come pray with us. Find an elder to pr- pr- pray with. Pray with the spouse. Pray with somebody you trust. If you got nobody, you can trust us. Come and pray with us. This is it. These are the moments. God, I pray that you would just pick up. And, and embrace us again um, because you have broken down the walls of hostility. We are one new man. We are new. We are new. We are new. We love you, God. In Jesus' name, be with us now. Amen.
7: i mm-hmm.